I remember when Carrie and I were pastoring a church in Colorado a number of years ago, we got word that several of our youth from our youth group had been detained by the police for messing around in a, in a cemetery, the local cemetery of, of the community there. And, and when I heard about it, I thought to myself, they did what? Until I remember the times that I did that, you know, and then I wasn't so upset with them anymore uh, about the whole deal. But it's a fun thing to do to, to try to take somebody into a graveyard cemetery and then ditch them and try and scare them later on and all like that. That's kind of a, a fun thing to do. It, it wasn't in a graveyard, but when my wife and I were in college and we were just dating, we went on a double date with uh, two of our close friends. And he just happened to work at one of the local funeral homes. And so he and I decided that what we were going to do is take the girls to the funeral home and kind of show them around and then ditch them in the funeral home and later on scare the weebie-jeebies out of them, you know? So we had this really planned out great. And it was, and it was a really great plan too until we realized that we hadn't ditched them, they had ditched us. We looked all over that funeral home to try to find our girls, and we couldn't find them anywhere until finally, in frustration, we walked through the biggest room of the, of the funeral home, which was, of course, the chapel where people would come and hold services. And that particular stage and chapel had this big, big uh, pulpit uh, podium thing, you know. And so we're just dumbfounded. We can't figure out where they're at. We walk onto the stage, and we're, we're just walking across, and out from within that podium, those two girls jumped out and scared us half to death. I mean, I did something I hadn't done in a very long time. We had been had. And that night we bowed to the fairer sex and admitted their superiority. They had scared us, we ate crow. Never tried that one again with Carrie. There's just something about a funeral home. There's just something about a cemetery that carries kind of spooky connotations with it, well, at least to most of us, especially if it's at night. Those places just kind of come with a fear factor built in. Do you know, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or not, but Easter, the Easter story, it's built in a cemetery. The Easter story takes place in a graveyard, and not a quiet one either. It wasn't solemn. This is what Matthew 28 tells us happened at that particular cemetery. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it, his face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. 
And the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And so this is what happened on that first Easter Sunday. This is what these women experienced. It's just daybreak. They're, you know, they're out there early. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the earth starts shaking. There's an earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake before? If you're from California, they don't, you don't even think about it. But, you know, we have them here too in Salt Lake. I remember a number of years ago, back in the waterbed days, when Carrie and I had a, a waterbed and waking up to the sloshing that was going on, you know, and, and you're kind of there. At first you're saying, what in the world's happening here, you know? Carrie, lay still, please, you know? But uh, then I began to realize this is an earthquake that we're experiencing and the, and the buildings downtown swayed and everything. It's a little unnerving for the few moments or if it's longer than that, it can be very unnerving. That's what these women are going through. They walk up to the tomb and the, everything starts shaking and an angel appears and he rolls back the big stone, the boulder that is covering the tomb. And, and the Bible says his face is so glorious. It's so brilliant. It's like looking into the sun itself. And, and the Roman guards, these tough old hardened guys, they're standing there and, and suddenly they go white, about as white as the angel, and they go into a dead faint and they wipe out right there on either side of the tomb. And this angel that appears starts talking to the ladies. Now tell me that wouldn't freak you out, okay? Everything that I've just described. But what does the angel say to them? Verse five, don't be afraid. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? After everything I've just seen, don't be afraid. Here they were, minding their own business, going to the tomb to perform a a, a, a nicety, a courtesy, so to speak. Luke's gospel tells us what it was. They were going to anoint Jesus' body with special spices. When suddenly, this whole graveyard lights up like, like an American Fourth of July fireworks show or something, and they're not supposed to be startled. They're not supposed to be afraid. Are you kidding me? But it amazes me how God comes right into the most difficult and fearful times of our lives and shows up in such special ways to bring peace, to quiet our hearts, to calm us down. In fact, in my years of serving Jesus, I have found that he specializes in doing that. Right into the midst of your most fearful time, he will speak peace. Take death, for instance. Most people fear death more than just about anything else. But here's Jesus turning death into a celebration, and he can do that because he has this power over death. He has this victory over death. It reminded me of a story about a man, a close friend of Jesus, by the name of Lazarus, and his story is given to us in John chapter 11. Jesus... Um, was good friends with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. In fact, the Bible says that they were dear friends. That those are term, that's terminology for very intimate friends, not just acquaintances. These people were very close to each other. But the story is that Lazarus got sick. In fact, he got very sick. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, they made a 911 call 
to Jesus to get him to come to Bethany where they all lived. Would you get over here because your friend, your dear friend, is very sick. We need you to come right away. But Jesus didn't come right away. In fact, he took his time. Have you ever noticed that Jesus takes longer to move than you would prefer? Have you ever noticed that in your life? I certainly have in mine. One of the things that I have learned about God is that he is never in a hurry. And Jesus was certainly not in a hurry at this particular point either. In fact, we find out as we read through the story that he delayed on purpose because there would be a reason for the delay, a purpose behind the delay. Sometimes when we get angry at God and we say, why aren't you moving, why aren't you doing something quickly? There's a reason behind it. We become so impatient, but God has a purpose behind it. And he certainly did here. And uh, Jesus said it was for God's glory. And he tells us in verse number 11 of John, uh, verse number four of John 11, this is what he said to his disciples. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, if you stop right there, you say, how in the world can God get glory out of this? Well, we got to read the rest of the story to find out. One of the things that I notice in this particular verse is, is uh, what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, this sickness will not end in death. It will not end in in death. He doesn't say Lazarus won't die. What he says is that death will not be the end of the story. So keep your faith up. End is not, uh, death is not the end. And we have got to remember that when we have put our, our lives in the hands of our Lord, when we have given Jesus our hearts and we are living for him, what may seem like an end to us is often just a launching pad for God's new plan, a greater plan, a superior plan, one that we maybe don't even know about. But God's got something greater, more than we can even imagine, in store for us. Well, when Jesus arrived at Bethany in the town, he found a grieving town and two very grieving sisters because Lazarus had, in fact, died. In fact, he had been dead already for four days by the time Jesus got there. And Martha ran to Jesus, and, and she said to him, in effect, what you would probably have said, what I would probably have said, where have you been? Why didn't you, sh didn't you show up? Why didn't you come when I asked you to come? Didn't you know? I told you this was an emergency. Where have you been? This is exactly what she said, verse 21. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, it's your fault. But Jesus calmly said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. But she didn't get it because she thought he was talking about the resurrection at the end of time. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He had something up his sleeve that she didn't see or didn't know. God oftentimes has something up his sleeve that you don't see, that you don't know, that you can't perceive. And so he says, Lazarus will rise again. And she says, yeah, I know that'll happen at the end of time. But then Jesus tells her bluntly. Sometimes God has to get blunt with us. And in verses number 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her this very important question, which you see down at the very last line there. He says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe what I've told you? Do you believe what I've just said? Do you believe that I am who I claim to be? Do you believe that I can turn this tragedy into something that's great? Do you believe that for your life? You know, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about that question, do you believe this? That's really what it gets down to, folks. That's really what it gets down to. Your faith, what you believe, do you believe? Because here's the deal, every one of us have impossibilities that we face. You say, well, you don't know what I'm going through, preacher, and that's true, I don't. You don't know what I'm going through. Every single one of us in life face impossibilities. And the degree of your belief, the degree of your faith, will determine what happens in that impossible situation, what the outcome will be. It may be a doctor's report that has come to you and tells you that there's no hope or a marriage that's going south. Maybe it's a financial situation that seems to have no remedy to you. Or maybe your kids are just so out of control you wonder if it's ever going to be possible for there to be peace and love in your home again. And you struggle with these impossibilities. And we're just so much like Mary and Martha. God, where are you? Don't you see what's happening in my family? Don't you see what's happening in my finances? Why aren't you showing up, Lord? Why aren't you, why aren't you here? If, if you only would listen to me, Jesus, I have a great idea. If you would just ask my opinion, I could give it to you. And I have a great idea how this could all be worked out. If you would have done what I wanted done, when I wanted it done, everything would have been just fine, which is essentially what Martha said to Jesus. But you didn't do what I wanted you to do, when I wanted you to do it, and now it's not fine. But the story of God's working in our lives doesn't end when we think it does. I once heard someone say, never put a period where God puts a comma. We do that. We think it's over. We think it's done. God just put a comma there. He didn't put a period. Jesus asked them where the tomb was, and so they took him to Lazarus' tomb. And he told the, the helpers, the workers, he said, I want you to roll away the stone that you have in front of his grave. And and Jesus, the Bible says, said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that man who had been dead for four days, wrapped in clo clo strips of cloths, uh, wrapped up in grave clothes, comes hopping out. <laughs> it's the only way he could do it. And verse 44 says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. My point just is simply this. Your marriage may seem beyond hope today. Your health may seem beyond remedy or cure 
Your business may seem beyond repair. Your sin may seem beyond forgiveness. But the God who calls life out of death wants to remind you today that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. But here's the deal. You've got to answer this same question Mary was at, or Martha was asked to answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now let's get real here this morning. There are some of you that are here today that you'll do anything in the world to avoid the whole issue of faith. Having faith in God, you don't want anything. You're just here out of kindness to somebody. What, what can I do to just get through this? But God's asking you to do something different today than maybe you thought you would do when you came in. He's asking you to consider that in fact he is able to take the mess that you've made out of your life, the broken pieces, and make something beautiful out of your life in its place. For Jesus, the, there was the cross, his death, and then a tomb. And when you, when you look at that, everybody who witnessed all of that thought it's over. They thought hell had won, nothing good's gonna come out of this. But that tomb proved no match for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because three days later he burst forth from that tomb declaring victory over death, hell, and the grave, all of it. And here's what I want to tell you. He who conquered his own grave can conquer yours if you'll give it to him. If you'll give it to him. It might be a grave of your health or your finances, the grave of your tomorrow and all the uncertainties of it. I want you to know they're no match for God's resurrection power. Jesus can take care of it all. Even your sins, your past, is no match for the love of God, which will be poured out into your life, and he will forgive you of everything that you've done, and he will welcome you into his kingdom. So whether it's a matter of being forgiven of sin being healed in your body, having your marriage restored, having miracles of financial provision come into your life. It's all available because Jesus rose from the dead.
on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen.
Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.